It's time to talk to David. Locks interview brought to you each and every week by our friends at the Murdoch Auto Team. Let's get out to the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Is the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke, with us here on The Big Show. Hi, David. Did that merger go through? Uh, yes, it has gone through according to the liner. So we've moved from Sprint special guest line to T-Mobile special guest line. Well, so. I'm a T-Mobile person. Does that mean my service gets better now? Uh, I'm a T-Mobile person too, so uh, let's hope so. huh? Okay. And so I have not had a problem. I'm just wondering if... I haven't either. I, I like just, T-Mobile. Yeah. Uh, David, I was just saying, I uh, want to want to give you a, a compliment. Been listening to the broadcast of the scrimmages, and I know it's a different situation for you, but things are sounding really good, man. You sound great. Well, that's nice of you. I think uh, credit credit goes to Travis Henderson and um, Jeremy Castro and Chris Baum and the crew, Jeremy Brunner, who have given us as good a setup as um, we could we could possibly have. It's it's different. Um, it's not the same. There's, I'm learning at least a few times a night when you start to do something and realize, oh, that doesn't work. You can't actually do that. Like, I don't know if you were listening the other night, but I had two players sub it out and then realized that I can't look at the scorer's table to find out who's subbing in. Um, and all of a sudden was just stuck. Like, and um, I'm guessing that so-and-so and so-and-so will check back in. Um, but you, you just, you know, you can't see everything. So it's, it's you, you have to get used to it. It's a little different. So, David, I'll ask you this question only because I trust that you'll know the answer. One is, how many three-point shots did the Jazz average before the stoppage, and how many are they going to average moving forward? Um, So, I actually don't have that the way you're asking it. Um, What I would tell you – so, I didn't think the first game had any value. So I haven't really looked at those numbers, though. It's funny, Ron Boone just texted me and asked for the same thing. So I will be looking it up because if Ron asks for something, he gets it. Um, What jumped out to me is in the first three quarters of game, Brooklyn and Miami. So the second two scrimmages, when our main players played in those three. So that's six quarters combined. We took 47% of our shots as threes. To put that in contrast, Houston leads the league at 45. We were ninth in the league at 37.5. So we went from 37.5 percentage of our shots as threes to 47% of our shots as threes. Um, that's a that's not a jump that happens without a conscious effort of doing that. So it's very clear that we've made a, a absolute conscious effort to shoot more threes. What impact do you think that that will uh, that will have, David? Or I guess what's what's the goal of that shift? Is this true? Is this the the strategy to make up for Bogdanovich, or is this something that he that Coach Snyder has wanted more of all along? If you try to sit around, if, you, if you're them and you sit around and you try to figure, well, okay, if we're going to win a playoff series, how are we going to do it? Um, I think the answer has to be. Um, that the way we're gonna, you know, the way we're gonna win the playoff series is out shooting some. Um, that that seems pretty clear to me that that's the mechanism by which we're gonna win basketball games. Is that you know Rudy attacks the rim, um, teams duck down, and we are able to uh, kick out to shooters and we outshoot people. But I don't, I don't think there's an, we're not a, 
you know, we've tried for years to beat people with defense. Um, and what happened was that our offense couldn't make the jump to match their offense, even when our defense held them down. And so as you, you know, try to run through the list of ways in which we can possibly win a playoff series, I think the mechanism by which you can win a playoff series is, is simply to make sure that we, we outshoot someone. And I think, I think that's the way to do it. So does that mean, David, that we'll see a continuation of, of uh, if the Jazz get a good look uh, 10 seconds into the shot clock, go ahead and fire away? I was, that's really the difference, right? It feels as though I don't – you know, it's interesting. We, we ran against Miami. We didn't run against Brooklyn. Like, I, don't, I think we had like three fast break points the whole game, and if you just kind of – I went back and rewatched. We, we didn't run the same way. Um, so, it, I, you know, our goal is to run and to, to do exactly that. Yes, that the early – the early opportunity is okay to take that three. And even to take a, you know, Quinn's big point to the guys is a, a contested three is okay as well. Um, so go ahead and take a contested three um, at times. And, um, and, and if they're able to, you know, and, and that's going to increase their three numbers. Um, they only took like 25% of their shots at the rim in one of the two games. So you, we better not lose that, right? The rim is still the Holy grail. But teams have gotten to the point now where they're denying the rim at such a success level that it means that you have to, you you really have to slow that down a little bit and try to um, or find something else, right? If teams are going to take away the rim, you've got to find another mechanism by which to score, and that's to put the pressure on the rim, you know, have the team uh, cover the rim, and then take advantage of by shooting shooting the three. If you look at the league's defenses, the biggest change that's taking place across the league right now is that the teams that deny shots at the rim, so Milwaukee that only allows 29% of shots at the rim. It's incredible. It's why they're so great. But they are 28th in the league at defending the three-point shot. Um, Orlando, third best in the league at denying shots at the rim, is 21st in the league at denying a three-point shot. Miami, fifth best at denying the rim, 30th in the league at denying a three-point shot. Boston, sixth, 24. Toronto, seventh, 29th. Now, those are all Eastern Conference teams, but even the LA Clippers, eighth best at defending the rim, 22nd in denying threes. So there's a what's happened in the league is that offenses are so spread out and so well spaced that if you deny the rim, you have to give up the three. The Jazz are the only team in the NBA that are in the top five of defending the rim and defending the three, but that's because they have the greatest defensive player in the world. David Locke is with us, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. Uh, David, I always give you credit when I do this, but I love stealing your material. I just never uh, quite relay it, I think, as effectively as you originally do. So I'm going to ask you to kind of review something that you said on Hanson Scotty, and I think you've said this a few times on the broadcast as well. But will you talk about Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell slowing down in the pick and roll in order to let Rudy uh, get forward? Will you break that down and what that does for everybody's game because that's been another thing we've seen that is different so i'm going to give you a short version i don't mean to just plug it for the sake of plugging but i'm going to if you really if somebody wants the really detailed version of this i did it on locked on jazz this week and um like with to a point of you know maybe <laughs> it, you shouldn't do it while driving because you might drive <laughs> off the road and fall asleep so to point to a nauseum but if you the jazz have done have changed the angle angles on, on Mike Conley's pick and rolls right now. And then Donovan has changed the way he's approached them. So let's start with, um, 
let's start with my with Donovan. Donovan setting the pick. Rudy sets the pick. Donovan comes off it. And what you've seen out of Donovan and Mike a lot this year is that they'll aggressively attack. Well, if Rudy gets held up at all in that pick, someone holds Rudy, or Rudy doesn't get free, or even if they Rudy's now a step behind them, or he's exactly equal to them. That pass for a six foot one guard for you know it's nice for us to hit pause on the television and say oh look he's open he's it's it's a nearly impossible pass for a six foot one guard to get over probably his defender is behind him or near him and then the big and and the way that teams defend the pick and roll is that the opposing big guy so tomorrow it's Derek Favors will just drop equal to Rudy the whole time so he's just going to drop with Rudy wherever Rudy is he's a step on Rudy but he's going to try to do it in a triangle so that he can stop Donovan's drive and prevent Rudy from dunking on a lob. And if Rudy's a step behind Donovan, well, then that's pretty easy, right? You're able to kind of hedge toward Donovan, not let him get to the rim, and you got a step to get back to Rudy. What Donovan's begun to do is come up that pick and then almost like cross over and pause for a second. Rudy gets all the way down to the baseline. That big has to go with him because that's his job is to stay below him. And then Donovan attacks. And it's almost an isolation, actually, at that point where Donovan beats his man. And now what does Favors have to do? Favors steps forward off of Rudy to come to Donovan's drive and Donovan's able to toss it over the top for Rudy for the dunk. I don't know if that it's a difference of just that crossover pause dribble at the top of the pick and roll allows Rudy to get down below Donovan. It's it's actually pretty similar to what James Harden does out of isolation and where Rudy used to have to come over and then he'd lob over the top to Clint Capella, but they just never run the pick and roll. Rudy wants to set screens and be a part of it, so this is your way to do it um, and have Rudy feel a part of it with the screen and have it all work on it. On Mike Conley, what they've done, because Mike's not comfortable with that same crossover and trying to beat a guy and he's, he's not quite as dynamic, in, in fact, there was a play the other night where you saw it where he got way out in front of Rudy and the only play he had was his floater is they've taken Mike, and Mike's coming down to the baseline. He's, his foot is literally almost touching the baseline. Rudy's setting the pick on the baseline. Mike's coming back. Now let's say he's coming with a, on the left side of the floor with a right hand. Sorry, we're getting detailed here. Now they're running that same pick and roll, but Rudy's running down the baseline, and Mike's rolling to the middle, and that big is now caught. Because if the big backs up too far, he actually ends up under the rim. And he doesn't have, and so when he he has to commit to one or the other, it's a much easier pass for Mike to get it to Rudy, and it's a much harder way to defend when they change that angle. Sorry, hello, everybody, wake up, wake up. <laughs> no, that's what no, we were no. looking for, right uh, there. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's really. If I, get, if I get time tomorrow on either Instagram or uh, something, I'll try to see if I can pull any of those highlights. It, it's hard. Uh, the NBA doesn't have quite as much stuff out right now as they usually do, so you can't pull highlights from games the same way. So it's a little harder for me to edit. David, speaking of Conley, uh, we uh, heard what he said, at least yesterday, when he was talking about his comfort level. Explain what you're seeing in that and what you just described there. Is he comfortable with that move? And what in what other ways is that being expressed, that comfort? Well, well I mean, that move is really what, what Memphis's primary offensive set used to be was that Conley would come up the floor, pass to the elbow to Marcus Gasol, who was usually on the right elbow. Conley would actually run off. He could either run off for a handoff at which point then Mike's going, gets it. He's going hard with his left hand to the basket. If he wasn't available, 
then he would actually go to the baseline. Gasol would pivot, often take a dribble, and hand it back to Mike, who would be coming around. At that point, it's the exact same play as what we just talked about. Hmm. Interesting. The other one the Jazz have run, someone's listening right now going, oh, no, he's not going to try again. No, no, I'm relentless. I'm going to try again. The other one the Jazz have run that's interesting is having Mike Conley. They did this on the other side. Mike Conley's on the on the far base. So that, let's say he's on the right side this time. He's down at the baseline. Joe Ingles had the ball near the top. Rudy came down, set the same pick for Mike Conley. Conley comes off the pick. Joe hit him perfectly with the pass right at the perfect time. It's now basically the same pick and roll, right? But Conley's coming off with some juice without the basketball, catches it, takes the dribble, Rudy rolls, it's the exact same pick and roll set. The, the, one of the keys to this is they're clearing that corner so that Mike and Rudy are working a two-man game and they're the only two guys on that floor, meaning there's three shooters spaced across the floor the other way. Hmm. David Locke with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David, I just want to ask you about the bench a little bit. All our daily assist guests have talked about how depth might be tested, especially early in in this process uh, before they kind of tighten up the rotations for the playoffs as they usually do. But talk to me about the Jazz bench, especially in that, uh, I guess it was the third scrimmage. Uh, it seemed like those units, even with Jordan Clarkson, really struggled at times to keep momentum or build some of their own. Are you concerned at all about the bench and the issue that we've seen really on and off throughout the year. You know, we found this great kind of vibe right before the break with the, what was it, the Joe Ingles, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, George Niang, Tony Bradley lineup. Um, and that's going to be harder to get to now without Boyan Bogdanovich. That's, that's really the loss of Boyan is trying to get back to that lineup in, is on bench units I think is going to be very difficult. Um, and so, uh, I think that is a concern. I mean, I'm not like, I don't know if I'm like, you know, despondently concerned, but I do think it, it is a concern, um, that, you know, that, that those, that that's, you know, that Tony frankly hasn't played great. Um, and he was playing pretty well before the break and all the reports were good. And then I just think, you know, whatever reason, he just wasn't comfortable yet. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether the Jazz can, can recreate that group or a new bench unit. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get too worried about the scrimmages either way. Like I'm not going to get too excited about the scrimmage. Like on one level, like I could sit here and pontificate with this incredible excitement about Donovan and Mike Conley, which I think a lot of us have done. And then, but if we're really honest about it, like the bench, the guards we played were not very good. Right. We didn't, we, you know, we didn't see Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dinwiddie and Torian Prince. We saw Chris Chioza, right? <laughs> Karen Levert's pretty good, but like, that's, that's a pretty big difference. We didn't see Ricky Rubio. We saw Ty Jerome, right? So let's not go, let's like, let like, and it's a scrimmage. So I'm going to wait, like, I'm going to wait and see a few days and before I make any big, and the same thing I would say about those bench units is to some extent, actually the flip side works there where like when the other team has guys out there that are trying to make money because this is their one chance that those are actually harder matchups for some of our bench guys than maybe they would be otherwise. So I'm a little reluctant to get, to make too many observations out of a limited sample size that we have. I, I understand it's the only sample size and thank goodness we have it. And think, you know, it's the first sample size we've had since March 11th. I'm all for it. I'm trust me. Like, you know, you got me doing geeky breakdowns. So that's not like I, it's not like I'm following what I'm saying, but um, you know, th- th- that's a pretty, 
that's a pretty clear, like, to me, there's a, you, can, you can get a little overblown on this stuff. David, I've been fairly vocal on the importance of the racial justice, the calls for racial justice that we've been hearing out of some from some NBA players, including jazz players. Uh, and I, I believe in that firmly. There's been some talk, some speculation that the jazz will kneel during the national anthem around the Black Lives Matter uh, indication on the court tomorrow night. Uh, do you have any thoughts on one, what we might see, and two, how you'll feel about it. Well, I mean, I'm a huge believer in that our country was found on protest and voicing, and that's the beauty of, like, I think that's the core of what the greatness of our country is. Um, you know, I'm a believer in the Madisonian marketplace of ideas, so I think that you have to allow each side to have their viewpoints. I'm not a believer in that you mute the other side, whatever, whatever side that is, right? So I don't really agree with Michael Porter Jr. and what he said today, but I think it's I, I'm, I admire any 24-year-old that feels strongly enough that they're willing to express their viewpoints. Um, so in that sense, um, you know, I, I think it's that these and, – and I, and I want – I don't want um, brainless gladiators that I'm – I want people. I want people that think. I want, pe- I want players that are thoughtful, that are interested in the world, that are trying to learn. I mean, it's an incredible thing. They're 20 some odd years old with, and they're thrust into the spotlight and they're trying to learn. And Quinn Snyder's done a masterful job with these players so that they become more informed and understand the world and, and have more reading material. And I mean, this, what the efforts that are going on behind the scenes is just great. I'm kind of babbling all over the place, but I mean, I guess my general take is I love it. I love, I love, protest i love passion i love people that express their viewpoints i love thoughtful people um i don't like you know i i, I love uh the idea that someone's trying to make a positive impact the idea that someone's using their platform beyond just shooting a basketball i think it's fabulous all of it um i respect it immensely does it mean i have to agree with all of it no absolutely not right but you know what i look back at the 60s and I look back at some of that civil rights movement in the sixties and I read a tremendous amount about it. And it's pretty hard to believe that someone would, wouldn't support Dr. Martin Luther King. And, and frankly, it's, you know, there are aspects of Malcolm X that are unnerving, but pretty hard to say you wouldn't believe it. People didn't, right. People didn't believe it, follow it at that time. You know, Mal, Dr. Martin Luther King was portrayed as a communist and this, and you can find a nitpick an aspect of every movement that's ever existed in America, including the Boston tea party and try to minimize its overall messaging by finding the one frailty or the weakness or the item that you want to pick it apart. So in the most recent case was in Dr. Martin Luther King and everyone called him a communist. And there were, I've read everything he's ever written. There are certainly aspects of what he wrote that had pretty high level communist aspects to it. and communal aspects to it. And so you can go nitpick and find that and decide that you want to discredit everything else he's saying. I personally would find that the 95% of that message was pretty important. And that's how I actually feel specifically to this issue too. Certainly there are things in Black Lives Matters groups that you can find that you don't like, but the overall messaging is about racial injustice. And if you take an honest moment, and as we did last night as a family and try to sit down with our 18 year old and 15 year old and describe the plight of the black 
individual in America over the last 150 years and try to get have them understand the wealth gap and the job gaps and the schooling gaps. And it was I, I was overwhelmed by the end of the night of what, what I was trying to explain to them. So to 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 see that we have a platform where people are making us have that conversation with our 15 year old is incredible. And I know more today than I did two months ago. And I'm more informed than I was two months ago. And I'm a better person and more understanding than I was two months ago. And I thought I was pretty informed, but not enough. And I didn't understand it enough. And I didn't realize how universal some of these experiences are for every black individual in our country. I didn't know that. I'm embarrassed by that fact. But talking to more people and listening more and allowing uh, the black hosts of the lockdown podcast network to have their own platform and do their own show without my guidance i learned and that's what this is all about you're here david just uh, a little heads up uh, i'm gonna find a time tomorrow to come down there and bother you because i feel like i haven't seen you in too long i'll keep my distance but i'm coming down to you bug bet. you tomorrow ron boone is a free throw away from me which i think you know by the way when ron informed me that he thought I was the same as a free throw away from me, and he's an 80% free throw shooter. I interpreted that to mean that he thought he could throw something and hit me on top of the head if he needed to. Oh, I'm That's sure exactly he could. what he meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he could. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you, David. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay, talk to you soon. All right, there you go. Our friend David Locke, of course, radio voice of the Utah Jazz.